from Manhattan Associates. Welcome to the Nucleus of Innovation, your only dedicated retail and supply chain podcast where industry-leading guests from around the globe tackle some of the most important topics and breaking developments from the world of retail and supply chain. For the past decade or so, many brands have been faced with the challenge of managing their own digital transformation while simultaneously scrambling to serve the needs of an increasingly digital savvy growing millennial audience generally accepted as the first internet-fixated generation. After two decades, however, the millennial generation is beginning to slip into the annals of retail history, a thing of the past, replaced in terms of buying power just as the generations before it. Today's brands are bracing themselves for the next wave of shopper-led disruption in the form of 11 to 24-year-olds, colloquial known as Gen Z or Zoomers. And this is the topic of today's episode for which I'm delighted to be joined by Nucleus of Innovation debutant, Nicole Lineback, founder of Retail Minded. Nicole, it's great to have you here today. Thank you for coming. Maybe you'd like to tell our listeners today a little bit about yourself uh, for those who aren't familiar with you, like I am. James, I'm excited to be here. Thank you for having me. You know, I have described myself as a, I would say, a retail geek, if you will, And I've been in love with the business of retail since I was a young girl. And I founded my company, Retail Minded, after working for brands that included Adidas and Franco Sardo Footwear and working for Nordstrom's in my younger years. And along the way through Retail Minded, I essentially research retail. And I do that through a variety of ways. I develop a lot of different content I produce a biannual show in Las Vegas on site at one of the largest trade shows in the country in the U.S. And I work with a variety of tech companies, trade shows, basically anybody who wants retail audience on how they can get their attention and better understand their customers as well. Lovely. Well, you are exactly the right person to be discussing this topic then, I feel, today. And the future of retail and stores in particular is a fascinating topic. So without further ado, let's dive in. The store of yesteryear has changed markedly, certainly over the last couple of years. What changes that we've witnessed over the last two years do you love and which areas are you less keen on, Nicole? Great question, James. You know, obviously we have and continue to live through this pandemic, right? And with that, a lot of change has happened in commerce. When we look at brick and mortar retail in particular, I love that retailers have been challenged by consumers during this. That's actually one of the things I genuinely love is that consumers have challenged retailers to move forward faster than they may have historically done so because the demands of what they wanted were there. They wanted contactless experiences. They wanted cashless options. They wanted to still have customer service enhanced throughout these experiences though as well. They wanted to be able to communicate and that meant doing so digitally, in-store, any connectivity in which their path to purchase was happening. So communication is still you know, very important despite the not necessarily interactive experiences that brands and consumers have had over the last two years. Now, don't get me wrong, we still see the connectivity, but it's happening in different ways. And so I guess what I'm trying to say is that I really love that customers have become almost the boss of change when it comes to retail. They've really had to push retailers and brands to make changes and enhance what their needs are. And I I really like that, to be honest. 
And which, uh, actually, no, let, let's take that back a step. Contactless and cashless, I love it. As an extroverted agoraphobe, you work that out for yourself. Um, <laughs> contactless and cashless works for me. So fast forward, those are the things that you love. What are the things that maybe you are a little less keen on? So that's, you know, another great question because the challenges that um, came throughout the pandemic also meant that the interaction that I've always appreciated in the business of retail, I've referred to it as shoppertainment in the past, has basically gone away on some levels with merchants because the engagement has disappeared. There is that contactless opportunity. There is the cashless opportunity where you can, you know, self-checkout, for example. But with that comes less interaction and less engagement between brand ambassadors, the people who are at the frontline services representing retailers and brands. And that actually is a challenge in itself. So how do companies engage their customer and keep them loyal? And that's one of the things that I've certainly seen heighten its challenge over the last two years. But with challenge, James, comes opportunity. And I think there's definitely some great opportunities with that. But I do think that the the little knots, if you will, are still being worked out there. I, I love that term, shop attainment. Shop attainment. Shop attainment? No. Yeah, shop, shop attainment. attainment. <laughs> it's like entertainment, but shop attainment. It, it also happens to be one, one of my favourite words in as much as it's a portmanteau. Um, so, yeah, shop attainment. I think, if you don't mind, we, we might coin that, um, but we'll pay the royalties to you um, maybe once every decade. Um, there, there's no doubt that the pandemic has changed consumer behaviour overall. You've alluded to that in your last answer. But it's also underlined the differences between generations, I think. Um, what, what what's driving this intergenerational change other than the fact that kids hate to do what their parents do and so on and so forth? What, what What's happening in your opinion? So this is really interesting. And one of my favorite subjects, James, you know, I've actually been a college professor for over 10 years now. And that means that I get to engage with 19 to 21, 22 year olds fairly regularly, at least once a week through, you know, these educational experiences, but make no mistake, we have great conversations and I teach the business of retail. So we are in fact talking about the business of retail, but I always ask them from your consumer perspective, what's going on? So for the last 10 years, I've had this front row seat to engaging with this really prime audience of customers, right? Who are also future leaders in the business of retail. And one of the things I recently asked them was, do you prefer, quite simply, to shop online or in stores? Now, without getting to see a show of hands of those tuning in today, I actually was rather surprised to see a 50-50 split with my audience. 50% of, on average, 20-year-olds said, I actually prefer in-store. The other 50% says, no way, online, I'm too busy to go in stores, right? But they blamed it on being busy and they leaned towards the convenience factor of online. Whereas this other side said, listen, I still want to touch. I still want to engage with employees. I still want to have an experience that gives me that shoppertainment we were talking about. So it's really fascinating to me because these these future leaders of retail who are also consumers are shaping what's happening just by their own actions as customers. And as they continue to push and advance themselves in this 
career of retail, it'll be really fascinating to see how they also make decisions and influence in that as well. That That is a surprising statistic, actually, isn't it, Nicole? I would have thought maybe it would have been more slanted towards the the online um, shopping experience? Well, I, I am always surprised by what they tell me. I mean, I could go on and on just with what they tell me all the time. One of the things I will say, James, though, is that when we narrowed in on the conversation of, okay, online or offline and why, one of the things I did find is that specific to more fashion and accessory-focused brands and retailers, they're more likely to go in-store or buy online if they can return it in-store. Whereas if it's an item of convenience or need, such as batteries or things they don't need to try on, they actually were like, yeah, yeah, we'll do that online. But they really want that engagement still in store. The other thing that's really interesting, and certainly, you know, we see a great job of this with so many great brands, is the online discovery with the in-store purchase. So online is obviously still relevant for them as part of that path to purchase. They're just landing in store to actually make the purchase. And this was 50%. Well, I suppose the the, the key takeaway for that, for, for me, um, about those statistics and, and that information is that the blending of the two, really, it, it emphasizes the importance of omnichannel operations and and not just saying you do omnichannel but actually living it so one for uh, retailers out there to to pay heed to if, if they're not already uh, one, one thing i wanted to 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 um talk about a little bit more is um is sustainability in the gen z um space and also this approach to the second hand market which i suppose is the other side of the coin for um for sustainability what what are they saying around those two topics another great question you just keep them coming there james you know i often ask them as well okay i'll tell you for example we just started a new semester this past january and this you know this i'm sharing based on my firsthand experience as an instructor to this audience but i can tell you i've asked this question for the last two or three years at the start of every semester and I said, who here finds sustainability important when they make a purchase decision? And every single student raises their hand. And then I say, who here has made a purchase in the last six months based on a sustainability influence? And no one raises their hand. So if you switch the conversation from is it important to you to do you actually do it, it becomes very different things. So now we start to narrow in on why. And quite often, a lot of it comes down to dollars and budget. These are students. They have, you know, limited spend. So then that secondhand business does become more important to them. But generally speaking, I have found that a very small percentage of them are big fans of the secondhand shopping. Um, most of them would prefer to do sustainable actions by less packaging in the product that they purchase. Or that's one reason they do go in store because it eliminates the need for packaging of something to be sent to them, but rather their local footprint feels more rewarding to them because they can just walk to a store and get something versus have something shipped to them. So sustainability extends well beyond the product. It goes into the complete action of which that product could land in their own home. So I really love that about them is like they're really looking at the entire circular experience 
of inventory in retail. They're not just looking at one single product or how that product may have been produced with sustainable factors, but rather they're actually looking at supply chain too, the logistics of it. That's, they're smart, aren't they, this bunch? They really are. Because when, often when I have conversations with, with family, friends, colleagues about sustainability, they zone in on the manufacturing or the, or the growing in terms of coffee or, or um, ag- agricultural p- produce. Whereas th- there's a massive and enormously important aspect of it, of course, the manufacturing, the growing, but just as important is how these things are getting to the, the stores or how these things are getting to your, your, your door directly. And um, overage and transportation management and, and, and the supply chain in general is an enormous area, which if brands are serious about sustainability they need to think of not just putting a stamp on the front that this was organic cotton or this was fair trade coffee or bananas so that's um that's very interesting that that your students are recognizing that as well and and very positive i think very positive well and james i think there's two things that i would love to reinforce here the first is the pandemic opened all of our eyes to supply chain challenges and to the logistics of getting something from where it may have been produced to the final end place of a consumer's home. So I think they became more aware of all of the steps involved. And that's actually been a a really positive thing for these future young leaders to learn, who, again, these future young leaders are also today's consumers, right? They have a lot of spending influence, if not power themselves. They certainly have influence, and certainly they're spending too. The other thing I would say is that They are very proactive in reacting to brands that share their sustainability journey beyond the production of the goods. So like you were saying, somebody may be interested in organic coffee, something that has a more sustainable manufacturing footprint. But if brands that communicate what they're doing, whether it's using certain light bulbs at all of their retail presence to reduce you know, certain emissions, or they're avoiding certain packaging because they know that by doing that, it's helping eliminate, you know, X, Y, or Z to the environment. And these are the types of strategies retailers can leverage too. They can communicate this so that the audience that does care gets to then spend their money with them because that's what they're spending on. You know, they're saying, listen, we value that. So we're going to spend with you. Absolutely. Absolutely. And and what does this actually mean for brands moving forward and the systems that they're operating and the processes in place when it comes to living up to these expectations, these these heightened expectations, these lofty expectations of, of Gen Zs, as opposed to maybe millennials or boomers or whatever came before that? <laughs> well, there's Gen X and we, we always get overlooked, by the way. Gen X oh. always does. <laughs> Sorry, my mistake. Apologies to all the Gen Xs out there listening. You proved the point. You reinforced it, I should say. I think that retailers and brands really have opportunity to basically grab a hold of the idealism of what sustainability is and then say, listen, more than just putting something out there that it's we're doing it, they're going to actually do it, right? And then create loyalty among their their spending audience. And that will cross generations too. It won't just be this younger crowd. I think that consistency will be key because 
what we see often is retailers or brands chime in when something becomes important at the forefront of marketing and conversation. They know sustainability is a conversation that captures attention, so they want to be involved in it. But how much are they involved in it? How authentically does it matter to them, right? These are the things that I think brands can leverage if they really hold on to something and say, I'm going to do this and I'm all in. I'm not just in temporarily or because, you know, Global Earth Day is coming up. You know, that's not what we're looking for. We're looking for the consistency year round of brands who will then gain that year round customer valuing them and choosing to spend their money with them. Very good points. Very good points. And now something a little bit more lighthearted. I want to know three things that your grandchildren are going to laugh about when when you talk about the retail experiences of the I don't know early thousands, twenty twenty. Um, what what are they going to look at you and go, you what? <laughs> well, the very first thing I'm going to say is the six feet apart in stores, because you know we can look at grocery stores, we can look at malls. You know I love these signs that still exist. You know here we are coming off of the pandemic, right? Fingers crossed we're on, we're on the tail end of it here. But the six feet apart signs still exist. You have floor signage, you have wall signage, you have announcements being made at some stores. Please keep six feet apart for social distancing and best efforts to you know, reduce the COVID impact. Now, don't get me wrong. I certainly respect science and I certainly respect um, the goal of what a six feet apart experience looks like. But I don't see it, is what I'm trying to say. When I go to stores, there is no six feet apart. It's every man for itself, get in line, want to get things done. You know, even the counterless or the cashless checkouts or the self-checkouts at many of the local grocery stores I go to are pretty darn close to each other, you know? So I think that's going to be a bit of a joke one day when we look back at that to say, did that really, you know, work within the retail setting? So... I guess I'd love to hear someone else's opinion on that too. Or maybe it's all fine. <laughs> Do you think that there, there may come a time when when our, your grandchildren, our grandchildren, will, will will find them vintage and desirable items and everybody will want to get hold of a six feet, keep your distance, COVID sign. And maybe maybe we should get out there and, and, and get hold of a few and stick them on eBay. Yeah, you know what? That's a really good point for that collectible market there's probably something to be said there i can't say i know enough about collectibles but you're onto something james i gotta look into that <laughs> but yeah i think it's gonna be very interesting to see um how that is reflected on and, you know, okay so no, number two number two i would say is the cashless no even though i'm a fan okay i am a fan of cashless i think it's going to become pretty funny to know that there was cash and then it had to become less. Does that make sense? So yeah, this, this incorporation of cashless is we're in this shifting place of cash really isn't desired right now as an exchange or a transaction in store. And online, of course, you don't use it at all. So I think when our grandchildren look back at that, they'll, A, first question is going to be like cash, you know, what is cash? But secondly, it became cashless. So the transition of that and how that looked and the sometimes awkward transition along the way of that. What's Apple Pay? What do you mean you can use, you know, installment payment companies? To them, it's going to be so normal, right? And so having this understanding that we existed in a society that shifted to cashless, it's going to be pretty fascinating to them. 
that, that that's a great point and when you look at the uh, the, the boom in the buy now pay later apps out there every website seems to now offer sure spent you know buy your hundred dollar shoes but you can pay for them over three three or four months um and it seems to be working uh, and people don't seem to be getting into the enormous amounts of debt that they did with credit cards so yeah that's that's a that's a really good point maybe maybe also they'll um when it comes to thinking about currencies and like dollars and pounds and euros and yen they might just scratch their heads and go what do you mean yen or dollars they'll go surely it's bitcoin or ethereum or dodge <laughs> exactly and i was actually going to say that too i think that you know just the the payment category in general as a lump is going to be a really interesting conversation and you know for me i hope more than 15 20 years for grandkids 15 years maybe but um so yeah i think that that's going to be so fascinating and currency at large is going to be just a very very interesting to different construction or conversation for us to have then and your final oh i was going back and forth on this i suppose my final is going to be um the in-store customer experience. I think that in the future, technology is going to really engage our grandchildren with how they interact in a store. And so what we experience now with interaction of staff, and we're starting to see technology, of course, but like I think it's going to be wildly different. You know, I'm going to be in a dressing room in 20 years asking my grandchild, how do I ask for someone to bring me a different pair of jeans? You know, there's going to be such an advanced level of technology. We're starting to see it, but I think we're going to be like completely flipped over in 20, 30 years. And so I think the customer service experience will be so different because even if we go backwards to when our grandparents were alive and we have conversations with them about what their customer care looked like in store, it was very, very different, you know, very different. And so I think that that's going to be something wildly different in 20 years, 20 plus years. It's a, it's a great point, isn't it? And when, when you look at, when you look at films of the early thousands like minority report and, and various other sci-fi thrillers and and you look at them using touchscreen technology hello ipads you, you look at you look at them putting glasses on and and checking out things and you go hello virtual reality oculus rift um glasses it's all here now we haven't quite got the um the the, the flying skateboards of back to the future but we we've got some fairly um fairly cool sci-fi stuff which is now every day so i think i think that's a pretty good shout and i think it's going to be even more integrated at a heightened level because like common america you know not new york city not los angeles not chicago you know we're talking about the towns in rural montana and rural idaho they don't see a lot of that yet you know so i think what will happen is they will by then i think everyone will by then and i think that's going to be really fascinating just to see that complete flip where the expectation is no longer um, having to visit a flagship store or maybe some of just the top tier stores but rather every store will have these incorporations okay so march the 9th 2032 you and i are going to idaho and we're going to see if any of this vr and ar and amazing technology has uh, has come to downtown Idaho. Well, that sounds amazing. And that's 10 years from now. So I hope I'm not a grandparent yet. And I definitely know you won't be. So, <laughs> <laughs> But I look forward to that trip. <laughs> yeah, that, that, that would be a surprise if I was. So uh, yeah, let's move on. Um, 
last last but not least uh, i want to put you on the on the hot spot here give us two just just the two two predictions that retailers need to take notice of right now that is going to impact them over the next 12 24 months so i guess I will go back to payments because I do think that's such a very important category. One thing I want to note there, consumers look to payment choice first before they often go spend somewhere. So if you are not incorporating the various options for payment that exist out there, you could be losing customers plain and simple. It's not about what they want to buy. Sometimes it begins with how do I want to buy it? Okay. So many retailers have not gotten on board with that yet. I absolutely think that's going to continue to influence um, retailers, brands, and profit opportunity. Very simple. People, customers want to be in control. I go back to that early on conversation. Customers pushed retailers in control, but that continues with that, I think. Um, The other thing I would say is that omni-channel has been a big conversation in many, many years now, but true connected retail, I think, is going to be the heightened difference that will make or break retailers and brands in the in the years ahead. And what that means to me is that, you know, the path to purchase is never straight. So having connected retail doesn't necessarily mean just having options to pay that are integrated into one system, but rather connected retail means that customers understand your brand no matter where they land. So whether it's an online review site, whether it's your own branded website, whether it's a marketplace, whether it's a resale site, connected retail will allow the customer to stay loyal no matter where they find you. Lovely. I I think those are great points. So listen up, folks. Payment choice and options. So get yourself some some, some modern point of sale technology, which is connected to the rest of your retail ecosystem and connected retail. That seamless path to purchase, almost omnichannel 2.0, if you were. Now, I'm not nearly as uh, as, as smart or connected as you, Nicole, so I, I'm not going to hasten to give any predictions because nobody would listen. <laughs> That's exactly, James. I think you're pretty darn smart. The one thing I would say to anyone listening who hasn't already, make sure your POS partner is integrated. And I know that the best of them are. So that is an easy fix right there. It sure is. And on that very uh, insightful and sage-worthy note, we've reached the end of today's episode. I'd like to thank our guest for today's episode, the wonderful Nicole Lineback from Retail Minded, for providing some excellent insights and some wonderful reflections on life in the Lineback house um, and what we might also expect from stores in the future and how the Zoomer generation is set to reinvent retail as we know it. If you'd like to take part in any further episodes, do feel free to send a direct message via Twitter with a suggested topic, or you can reach out to us on LinkedIn. If you've enjoyed this episode and want to find out more about any of the points that Nicole's talked about, then reach out via our social media handles or get in touch with Nicole herself directly on LinkedIn. Until next time, it's goodbye from me and it's goodbye from Nicole. It was so great chatting with you, James, and everyone. And it's a thank you for me for listening. Stay safe, everybody, and join us again very soon for the next instalment of the Nucleus of Innovation.